Well, hello everybody. My name is Amit Sharma. I'm founder and CEO of Narwar. We are a SaaS tech company and we work with uh, global brands and retailers to enabling their customer experiences across their all uh, digital channels. Today, I am actually having a session with Kelly Thompson, who I really admire and love all of her work that she has done to talk to us and, and, you know, and look at the data that we did, uh, survey we did very recently last week with Forrester and have more meaningful conversation around what and how uh, retailers are uh, thinking about and how they are planning and responding uh, to the current uh, circumstances that we all are experiencing. So with that, let me introduce uh, Kelly. Kelly, um, you know, most recently uh, was the COO of samsclub.com. And prior to that, she spent tremendous amount of time and, and leadership in terms of leading all the global merchandising efforts for walmart.com. And now she's been advising and on the board of several uh, companies. So with Kelly, really nice to having you with me today and, and sharing your thoughts and perspectives on the, the issues that the, the brands and retailers are facing today. Yeah, thank you so much, Amit. That's a that's a lovely introduction. Very uh, very grateful for that. And before we go any further, I just want to say to anybody who's watching, um, you know, hey, I hope you're doing everything you can to take care of yourself, to stay healthy and stay sane during these um, unprecedented times. So, um, you know, kind of feeling for everyone out there and making sure we're all trying to do what we can to uh, to stay healthy and stay sane. But I'm happy to have the conversation with you today, Amit. It's a pleasure. Well, great. And uh, Kelly, as you're advising us and Narvar. And, and other companies on the board. And you're looking at two trends that we saw in our Forrester survey where brands and retailers are not only experiencing uh, um, you know, issues and challenges in terms of what they plan for the year, and some categories actually are forecasting a 20 to 25% down back off of the year, and others are actually in certain categories are doing well. How do you, uh, you know, synthesize these um, you know, uh, factors that we are seeing and experiencing today? Yeah, I think, you know, first of all, it's, it's, it's unprecedented. I think, you know, I've been through a couple of recessions in leadership roles and, and those are tough and they always, they always teach you um, really important lessons. But I don't think any of us have really seen these kind of two forces, um, you know, happening at the same time and, and compounding. So you've got all of the behavioral changes that are required so that we, you know, flatten the curve of this pandemic. Um, and then you kind of have the economic upheaval and, you know, what are the lingering effects of, of both of those forces? So it's a time of incredible uncertainty and, and volatility. And I think, um, you know, there's a couple of trends that, that we can talk about, but I believe that really kind of the, the key things are, it's a time of incredible focus. I mean, most companies, you know, I think about strategy sessions, they'll start with 15 ideas. They'll really do the hard work to edit it down to five. Um, and then now with what's happening, maybe you can get one or two done. So you really have to make sure that you're focused and that you, um, you know, a lot of people are probably taking the time to, to reprioritize. Um, you got to stay flexible um, and agile too. Um, this is a very, you know, dynamic environment. Things are unfolding quickly. Um, but paying attention to what, what's happening with your customers, what's happening in your supply chain, what's happening with your employees um, can really kind of help you, you know, sort of navigate with the North Star in, um, you know, in, in the times that, that we're experiencing. But I think, um, you know, ton of uncertainty, but I think one thing that we could probably, you know, imagine is that we're going to live in a world with fewer stores, right? Like right now we're seeing, and you know, all the store closures and, and, and hopefully this is, this is short term, but that creates financial pressure 
that will lead to longer term store closures. And so I think that um, we can also count on a continued shift into e-commerce and some of the Omni capabilities, because I think both of those are strategies that give everybody a ton more flexibility as they navigate kind of these uncertain times. No, Kelly, I mean, and as you mentioned, um, retailers are doing a tremendous job in responding uh, to taking care of their employees and, and playing a role uh, in their community. But as they plan ahead, especially as you mentioned, uh, there will be more and more acceleration in uh, digital channels and less footprint on physical stores. So as they switch into planning mode, uh, and especially omni-channel, and that means so many things to so many people, it's a very diverse um, you know, and heavily used uh, term. How do you describe the key attributes or, or capabilities uh, of omni-channel, be it uh, a, a, a multi-channel company or D2C brand? How should we think about omni-channel? Yeah, I think when I think about Omni, it's really a way that it's a term that retailers use. Customers rarely use it, but it's a term that retailers use, I think, to kind of be a proxy for customer centricity. For me, Omni means have you broken down all of the barriers um, to connecting your products with the customers, right? We, we know that sometimes it's hard to read inventory that's in stores um, from a website, or it's hard to be on a website and understand what's, what inventory is in stores. And so Omni to me just means like breaking down all of those barriers and having the ultimate amount of um, options to connect your customers with the products that you sell and the services that you sell that, that they enjoy. So that's kind of how I, how I think about Omni, but, but I think it's important to clarify. And right. um, just when I think about, go ahead. No, after you. Well, I just, when I think about kind of the capabilities, um, you know, the financial pressure on having a, an asset heavy business and having a lot of stores like that, that's going to be a drag to, um, to a lot of players, even though they've trimmed their store fleets. Like this is kind of an unprecedented sort of catalyst to doing, you know, dramatic things. Um, but you can imagine that a lot of D2C players, like, you know, maybe they want to have, um, you know, experiential pop-ups once we're back into, um, you know, being allowed to go outside again. Um, and how are they going to think about their inventory? How are they going to make sure that customers can access what they're offering, um, whether it's, you know, via a mobile app, via a website, or walking into, um, into a fiscal experience? Um, and then for, you know, physical stores, um, you know, generally they should have a lot of, you know, capabilities that someone who's just doing direct to consumer online doesn't have. Namely, can they do curbside pickup? Can they do same day delivery to, um, to their local customers? So you really see that there are kind of a wealth of, uh, a wealth of options, um, you know, to serve the customers, but a lot of times the systems and the processes that, 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 we, that we've put in place as we've grown up, um, you know, kind of present the obstacles to doing that well. Yeah, I think so, you know, you're, as you're mentioning Omni, both from the customer-centric point of view and also from looking at unit economics, right? So, uh, you know, having a unit uh, in online-only channel versus in-store channel has very different behavior and from shipping, fulfillment, returns. So as these two trends are accelerating, you know, faster adaption of digital uh, channels plus uh, you know, less number of stores or fewer store footprint. What are the things that, um, you know, retailers and brands need to be very much focused on making sure as this new world is accelerating that they are keeping these consumer experiences in mind, but building these products uh, or capabilities rather uh, that are, you know, profitable and they can also keep uh, the P&L as aspect in mind. 
Yeah, I think I think the headline there, Ahmed, is nothing's easy in retail. Um, you know, maybe it maybe it looks like it is, but but nothing's nothing's ever easy. As simple as as we might think retail is about connecting customers with product, but if you have a lot of stores, um, you know, generally you're running a very asset heavy business. But if you do have customers that come into stores, they do a lot of work for you know for you. They come in, they pick the item off of the shelf, they know it's the right one, they they got the one they wanted. Um, they take it through checkout, they put it in their car and, and they take it home. And then if they have a problem with it, they'll drive it back in their car and, and, and return it. Um, and so when you shift into e-commerce, you know, all of these things that the customer used to do for themselves are now a service that you're providing to them. So, you know, they, they cost you additional money, um, you know, when you compare it to a store's model, um, but it also creates an incredible opportunity for customer touch points. Um, so you have these additional touch points with the customer when you're, you know, processing an order, shipping an order, um, and then if they have any problems, kind of enabling a return. Um, so great customer touch points, but they are additional costs to the retailer. And you want to make sure if you have cust additional customer touch points that you're delighting and not disappointing. Um, so, so, you know, so you want to make sure that you're, you're leveraging those touch points to drive additional loyalty. Um, yeah, and generally when you think about the shift to e-commerce, um, you know, a shipping expense is, um, is probably the biggest expense, and that's a thing that a lot of e-commerce retailers focus on. Um, and so when you're looking at your product mix, you really need to make sure that you can afford to um, still have some margin after you pay to ship it to your customer's home. Um, you know, the other thing is, um, is returns, right? The, the reverse logistics associated with the returns. And frankly, it can be hard to get the right return recovery rate um, because, it, you know, it takes a while for the returns to get back to you and for you to get them back into um, a saleable condition. And then finally, there can be a lot of customer anxiety about where is my order? Um, and so, you know, you can, you can sustain, um, you know, increased contacts to your contact center um, if you're not if you're not careful about communicating to the customer where their stuff is at and, and getting it to them when you say you get it to them. So, so you know, so to recap, um, e-commerce gives you more flexibility. It, um, it is more expensive, but it does give you more customer touch points. You just need to make sure that you're using those those touch points to drive delight and to drive loyalty instead of uh, disappointing. Yeah, and I think uh, and that's, that's a key point there, right? Making sure consumer behaviors and expectations are set and they have high bar to begin with. Uh, how do you continue to keep the bar to attract new customers as they are coming to these new digital channels while making sure from the P&L perspective, take the cost out as much as possible. And especially, you know, as you mentioned, uh, shipping and fulfillment, those are some of the largest P&L line items uh, when you take the cost of the items out. And especially when you have, um, you know, uh, stores and omni-channel uh, network in the past, you know, consumers can actually return in your store. Now the stores are closed. All that is happening through online. So not many uh, GMs and online company, uh, you know, uh, owners may have thought about, you know, impact of uh, returns coming back via online, but now it gets even more accentuated. And how do you think about, um, you know, the margins? And I think with your um, you know, expertise, and I should tell listeners uh, that you know, uh, when you were leading um, and playing the GM role, you, know, you paid specific attention to data points and signals, not what is selling, but watching it throughout the life cycle. So what are two, three things that you can share with us so that everybody should be paying attention to, not only about sales, but the impact that happens uh, after the sales is done? 
Yeah, I think um, that's anyone who knows me um, knows that the the PNL discipline is one of my hallmarks, and um, you know I've introduced it somewhat painfully to teams in the past, but they end up loving it because it's actually it's actually really interesting and it's and it's really hard and it and it makes you better. Um, but you know, I remember before, when I first got into e-commerce, I thought a lot about initial margin. Basically, you know, what am I charging for the product, and then you know what did I pay for the product, and and sort of considering my margin to be there. Um, and and it, it really took me a while to really learn and get familiar with an e-commerce P&L. And I would tell people as they're developing their digital strategies, um, it's really time well spent to understand what happens kind of below the line, you know, um, you know, all of that post-purchase activity that is additional cost um, to the retailer, you know, really kind of dig in and, and understand that and understand like which metrics you need to be tracking in order to, um, you know, in order to, to make the right changes, make the right moves. Um, you know, I spent years trying to improve, um, you know, and, and making a lot of improvements in profitability. Um, but, you know, it's, it's a never ending optimization problem. I would say that when you consider your total assortment of what you're offering, that you do need to think about, um, you know, how is the, how is the margin going to look after I ship it to a customer, right? Like that's, that's the first thing is to kind of focus on what do you think your shipped margin is going to look like? Um, and then to the point that you just made, um, with returns, I think that there's still a lot of opportunity in returns um, and making returns much more intelligent and, and much more data-driven. Um, I'll kind of shift to sort of an apparel mindset, but we've talked about this term called bracketing or, you know, the living room is the new fitting room. Um, that's true, and that's how customers want to shop, so we have to meet them there. Um, but if the living room is the new fitting room, I remember from way back in the day, in the early days of retail, there was a ton of focus on getting the fitting rooms cleaned out, getting everything back on the hangers, and then back in size order on the racks. And so I don't think that we've kind of um, gotten there in the digital world yet, and so there's a ton of opportunity, in my opinion, to, to improve on, um, on the return process, both to make it delightful for the customer. Again, it's another touch point that you could turn into a loyalty driver, that you can turn into an exchange or to, into a new sale. Um, and then also, you know, being intelligent about disposition and, you know, do you have things engineered so that, hey, we should expect more things to come back. So what are we going to do um, in order to get them, you know, in saleable condition and, and back on the website or back on the store shelf, um, whatever it may be as fast as possible. So that's a really good point that, you know, retailers have those disciplines in place in a physical network of, as you said, you know, keeping the back rooms clean and efficient as possible so you can bring them back to sales rack and, and so that you can keep that, um, you know, uh, the sales going. But on the online channel, there's so many more opportunities of creating that efficiencies. Um, and especially, you know, when, you know, people are buying two, three units, uh, so basket is high, but when one unit comes back, you're still paying back on the return fee that just will eat into your margin and straight to the bottom line. So as you know, even though you know uh, consumers do expect more uh, flexibility and more convenience, but keeping that efficiency in mind and driving the profitability is also really important as business move towards the. Uh, uh, the digital channels. Yeah, I almost think of it as like the le left brain and the right brain of um, of retailing. I, I think once I got into e-commerce, I, I really learned um, a lot of the details 
um, you know, about the, about the P&L. Um, a little bit painful at first, and I know a lot of the D2C brands are kind of in expansion mode, but I think everybody is going to feel this pressure on, um, on profitability, no matter what format you're talking about. And so to pay special attention to the metrics um, and the unit economics in e-commerce um, is, is incredibly, incredibly important. So I think so we touched a little bit about uh, the, you know, the department stores and, and multi-channel um, uh, brands, but D2C brands as they experiment and they offer multiple touch points, including pop-up stores, what are the things that they should be aware of uh, keeping uh, the consumer experience and consumer centricity in mind and keeping, making sure that and the, the profitability or the margins are also intact. So what are one or two things yeah. that they should keep in mind in enabling these experiences? Yeah, you know, Amit, it's, um, it's a great point. It's kind of like you have to do both and, and both are hard and a lot of times they work in conflict with one another. So I don't mean to, to sit here and act like it's easy at all. It's easy to say and, and, and harder to do. Um, but it's critical that, that, you know, you're really listening to your customers and, you know, what do they want? How, not just the products that they want, what are the experiences that they're seeking? And that's going to be really key for us to all listen to as we kind of go through this pandemic and then, you know, hopefully emerge out of it, right? Like, how are people going to be feeling? We don't know. So it's going to be um, a really, really important to listen to both kind of what kind of products do they need? Um, and what are the experiences they're seeking? I don't know, maybe everybody will wanna run out and go to a store because we're just so cooped up and we can't wait to get outside. Or maybe there'll be certain restrictions and there's still a little bit, a little bit of fear. Um, nobody, nobody really knows. So um, listening to customers and making sure that you're collecting the data to, you know, to get the right signals and then kind of figuring out and how are you gonna do that in a more efficient way than anybody else? So, um, you know, I think that's where the competitive forces are going to be at play is, is who, can, who can balance those two kind of opposing forces of customer centricity and sort of P&L discipline um, and, and, and find the right marriage between the two. Um, I will say that, um, you know, these times of great challenge, you know, what's that saying? Necessity is the mother of invention. You know, one of the things I still continue to love retail is because there's so much creative energy here, not just about, you know, assortment and experience, but there's a lot of creative um, energy around operations, operational efficiency. And so I, um, you know, being the optimist that I am, I am looking forward to kind of what creative ideas and what innovation breaks through just out of sheer necessity as everybody navigates this, um, you know, th this pandemic and, and the economic upheaval um, associated with it. But to, to, but to recap, I think listening to your customers um, and figuring out how to give them what they need with that P&L discipline. Um, and, you know, and, and, I, and I do anticipate that people are going to think of things that we just plain haven't, haven't thought of because we haven't been forced to. Um, and so I'm, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to that and just kind of seeing the creative expression from, you know, both merchants and, and operators and marketers as we continue to navigate this time. I mean, that's awesome. I mean, and setting that framework, I was saying that, you know, bringing both those forces together and being upfront and diligent about you know, customer experiences, centricity, listening to them and having that discipline. Once you set that framework, then it's good to figure out, you know, using that energy and creativity to really go and, and, and uh, come out on the top uh, in the market because it's, it's going to be vibrant. We don't know what all models are going to emerge, but, you know, we can bring energy, joy and fun back as the market slowly opens up for back half of the year. 
I think that's I think that's well said. Um, and I think that's one thing that probably everybody is 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 going to be looking for is like just kind of that that um that in, that infectious that infectious energy. Um, but uh, yeah, I think that's I think that's well said. Um, awesome. Yeah, it's, it's going to be tough. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's going to be tough. Um, not only few months for you know few quarters, so that as we you know as you mentioned, you know, that's a well uh, you know articulated framework keeping customer experience and feel and discipline in mind. This is this is day in day out, but you know putting that framework every day in front of us and making sure we operate that. And to be honest, not just for retail, for any business, you know yeah. keeping those two um, uh, components are, are crucial, including Narwar and everybody else. So it's really really important to operate within those two uh, components. Yeah, I think one other one other thought I just have that I'll add to that is just this notion of collaboration. I think one of the things that we've seen kind of in in retail is um, you know is surprising collaborations, things that we wouldn't have imagined you know you know eight to ten years ago. And so I get excited thinking about okay, what are the what are the collaborations um, you know going forward? How are the how are the really artistic people kind of combining with the operationally excellent people? Um, and, and what do those sort of, you know, collaborations result in for the customer? Um, so again, you're catching me being optimistic. I know we have a, a tough road to hoe um, between, between now and then, but, uh, but yeah, I'm, 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 counting on, I'm counting on innovation already. Well, that's great. I mean, I mean that's, that's, we need that uh, perspective, uh, especially when we have long and, and, and tough days uh, and every single day and having that point of view is really important. Kelly, thank you so much for taking the time and, and spending with us and sharing your perspective. Thank you yeah, so much. My pleasure, Amit. You take care. Thank you.